Ece Özdemiroğlu. I'm Sabina Apet. And I'm Jill Duggan. And this is Join the Dots. I'm an environmental economist. Sabina is an environmental scientist. Jill is an expert in climate and energy policy. We've spent our careers giving advice about the environment, and we know choices are never straightforward. Here in each show, we explore the issues surrounding an everyday choice to help you decide what's best for your health, wallet, and our planet. And today we're going to be talking about how we heat our homes. In June 2019, the UK became the first major economy to pass a law that commits the government to achieve net zero by 2015. First major economy if we don't count Sweden, Norway and quite a few others. And we beat France by just a hair's breadth. Well, I was quoting gov.uk. Anyway, what does net zero mean? Net zero means that any emissions of greenhouse gases have to be balanced by schemes to offset an equivalent amount of gases from the atmosphere, such as by by planting trees or by using technology like carbon capture and storage. And achieving this target will require a coordinated and significant effort across all sectors. But today we're going to look into how we heat our homes. Because to my surprise, a quarter of all energy used in the UK is used at home and 60% of that energy comes from natural gas. Back in March 2019, in the spring statement, the then-Chancellor, Philip Hammond, indicated that from 2025, all new homes would not have gas boilers. And more recently, Extinction Rebellion has raised awareness that actually the 2050 target might not be soon enough to get to net zero carbon. And changing our heating systems really has got to be at the front of the queue for how we're going to achieve our carbon goals. So today we have two guests. One who's working on the policy for domestic heating and one practitioner who's making it happen on the ground. Jenny Hill of the Secretariat to the Committee on Climate Change and the committee is the statutory body which recommended the net zero policy to the UK government. Jenny works on emissions from homes and how we can make existing homes and new ones low carbon. We also have Peter Wickens. Peter has been installing renewable heating systems for 15 years with his company, The Fuel Effect. He's also been a member of the technical working group for heat pumps of the microgeneration certification scheme. Welcome, Jenny. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Hi. Um, Sabina, would you like to kick us off with your experience? Well, about two years ago, we wanted to replace our ruinously inefficient and ineffective night storage heaters, which used tons of electricity, didn't heat the house very well, and in our small cottage in the winter, still required a supplement of coal and or wood in our small Victorian fireplace. So we sought to do research on what the alternatives were. When you spoke to individuals, finding people that had experience and could provide the service was difficult. And finding people who would admit what they didn't know rather than faking it was a challenge. So it felt a little bit like a game where you had to come up with the answers before you could ask the questions. 
So um, in the end, we got uh, more efficient than what we had before a gas boiler. But I feel like I had failed to get the information about more sustainable alternatives. Now, I do online research for a living. So if I struggle, I imagine others do too. And, well, I did manage to install a heat pump, I'm very pleased to say, and I did also manage to get photovoltaics on my roof that generate quite a lot of electricity. But I did it probably in the wrong order. And despite the fact that I've worked in climate and energy for the last 20 years, I found it really difficult to get the information I needed. And there were points along the way where I nearly gave up and got a gas boiler because it was so difficult. And it was difficult to find people who gave trustworthy information. So I'm glad I did in the end, and I'm very pleased with what I've got. But it was really hard work, and certainly government websites did not help at all. And what is a heat pump? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, if you really care about global warming and you want your home to be as low emissions as possible, then the solution we always point people to is called a heat pump. I acknowledge it's not the best name. I think it probably could do with a rebrand and do feel free to write in if you've got <laughs> any better, better ideas for what we could call them. But the reason we, we really focus on this technology is that it does use electricity, so at the moment, there are some emissions attached. But at the committee, when we're looking at how you get to net zero for the UK, one thing we're absolutely clear on is that we have to build on the brilliant success in decarbonising the power sector. So at the moment, we've got 50% of our electricity, which comes from renewable sources. But we're clear that we need to get to 100%. So it means if you've got an electric heating solution that it has the potential to be quite low carbon if it's efficient, but we're very confident that it can be zero carbon in the longer term. Should we ask you can, the man who, yeah. who, who installs it? Because I mean, I, I mean, here we are, four women talking and yeah, not letting yeah. the man get Sorry. a word in edgeways. <laughs> so, so it's like being at home. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure. Am I supposed to laugh at this or I'm get angry? Sorry. I'm not quite sure about no, that. No, no, but anyway, can we what, can we please you... explain what heat pumps are? I'm dying. Okay. I mean, the, the term heat is actually misleading hmm. because people believe you're extracting heat and pumping it around. That's right. And you're not. You're actually extracting energy. So we mentioned Jill has an air source heat pump. That actually draws air through it and extracts energy from the air. The air passing across a coil with liquid refrigerant in contains enough energy to change that liquid into a gas. One thing that people mention when they try and explain this is we all have fridges and fridges have a refrigerant cycle to extract the warm air from your fridge and kick it out at the back, which is why you've got that hot air at the back of your fridge. And so it's basically the same thing going on. But the reason the heat pump is so efficient is that these refrigerant gases can transfer the heat that's either in the air or in water or in the ground really efficiently because they expand and carry the heat and then you only need a tiny amount of electricity to compress them and get them to release all the heat in one go and that means that you only need one unit of electricity to typically produce three units of heat or more. So when I mentioned heat pumps to a friend, they said, well, what in the UK? Because we don't have geothermal energy because you must be talking about Iceland. But this has nothing to do with geothermal energy, right? Heat pumps extract stored solar energy. Ground loop collector for a ground source heat pump is only a metre in the ground. It's not 500 metres down tapping into the centre of the earth and it's extracting stored solar energy. It does that over the winter. You get to the next summer 
the sun comes out, it warms the ground back up again, and the cycle goes around. Now, these refrigerants don't have the um, ozone, ozone impacts that they used to, do they? So the ones we have now don't cause an issue for the ozone. Okay, thank Because we had the Montreal cr- Protocol, which came in, which banned all CFCs. And even a- so similar gases, HFCs, they, they should also be right. phased out in the longer term. But these refrigerant gases, very, very unfortunately, have very, very high global warming impact. Every refrigerant now ha- is given a GWP, global warming potential, and that is its potential effect upon the atmosphere. Over time, the refrigerants used are constantly changing and that all comes under the Kyoto Protocol and reducing the level of impact that refrigerants have. So the refrigerants we're using now are different to the refrigerants 10 years ago and they'll have less impact and they will change again. Okay, so currently, what's the kind of global warming potential of the the gases there? Okay, scary number, but it could be 10,000 or more. And are they being released to the atmosphere or are they... They shouldn't be, but... Yes, there is a likelihood of refrigerants leaking at some point but in our experience at least it's fairly unusual i mean we've installed hundreds of heat pumps and if they're all leaking all the time we'd spend all of our time going around mending leaks and we don't it's when things fail and you have to replace them that there is a refrigerant in the system and you have to try and extract as much as you can and dispose of it safely reinstall the system with new refrigerant afterwards so currently this is an achilles heel in the system that we're trying to address if you look at the whole I'll call it heat pump technology over a number of years. I mean, over that period of time, the technology is improved. The tools we use with it have improved. The refrigerants themselves have improved. This year, most companies have launched a new range of air source heat pumps with a new refrigerant Mm -hmm. Um, because it has a lower global warming potential. It has a number of other factors. It delivers more capacity for the heat pump. It has greater efficiency. And so there's a, there is a constant ongoing drive to improve the way things work. Yeah. In the long term, uh, what we're looking to do is use CO2, which has a GWP of one. That's <laughs> carbon dioxide. Yes. So we've talked almost exclusively about heat pumps, but are they appropriate for all homes? All I can say is over the years, we have installed heat pumps into blocks of apartments individual apartments in a block of apartments we've done terraced houses semi-detached houses bungalows grade two listed detached houses um are there flats where there's no outside space or no access to outside space that, that make it difficult so there are service ducts from most apartments up to a roof space and whatever else you can put heat pumps on the outside facade of a property Whilst that's popular in commercial environments, I find it's different when somebody sleeps in that property. It's a moving piece of machinery at three o'clock in the morning when that little bit of resonance can become very annoying. And there's not been any property that you come across where you've been scuppered and thought, there's nowhere for me to put the outside unit here? or Not so far. Sometimes we needed planning permission because there are certain constraints on what you can and can't do. But most authorities are becoming, in fact, more sympathetic to the fact that you're trying to do the right thing. And if you can do it in the right way, it is a good solution. Mm. Just to play devil's advocate a bit, if you are going to have to have this outside unit, then it looks a bit uh, a bit ugly. I agree with you. I think it looks <laughs> ugly, which is why that's not a solution we've used. We've put them on the ground and we've put them on the roof because... Mm they actually are not a very maintainable solution on the side of a block Mm -hmm. of apartments. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm. when your heating breaks down in January and it's a heat pump and somebody says, well, as soon as we can organise a crane and a scaffold and whatever else, we'll have a look at it. 
Scaffolding is wow. expensive. That's, that's not what you want to hear. So you need to put things in a way that are maintainable. So mm-hmm. what sort of infrastructure do I need when space is at a premium? Okay. There are different types of S or seat pump. Mm-hmm. One type is what's called a split type, where you have a unit outside and you have what you would recognise as a wall-hung boiler inside and the energy is transferred from outside to inside in those refrigerant pipes. That requires a footprint inside. But that option is a good one if you don't want the fan unit very close to the property outside. Whereas if you do not have the space inside, you can fit what's called a monoblock heat pump where that sits outside, but it has water pipe work that connects into the house. And what size are we talking? That's sort of relative to the size of the property you want to heat. The bigger the property, the bigger the heat pump. It really does come down to the design exercise that you have to go through to decide what size heat pump Mm. really takes you along that path. And at that point, you can start to have a sensible discussion around what is right for your property. Mm. Yeah, and am I right in saying that typically a, a communal heating system might work really well in a block of flats? So you could have just the one heat pump and that could run much more efficiently than having lots and lots of individual units. Technically, yes. Our experience is that in most instances, the people that we've installed for, particularly developers, whatever else, their view is that if somebody's buying an apartment, they want to own their heating system. And I think it's a cultural thing in this country Mm. because technically there's no difference, Mm -hmm. but it's more of a cultural thing. And I think we need to get past that barrier as well. Mm -hmm. One thing that might pass that barrier is money. So if it's going to cost less to heat everyone's homes it might be easier to convince them to forego their independence i had to look at some numbers and it seems an average household pays about 600 pounds on gas bills and Mm -hmm. another 600 or 700 pounds on electricity bill so if i install a heat pump obviously there'll be an outlay initially but is that gonna mean that year on year i will pay less for heating well (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd like to be able to say, yes, it will definitely save you money. It's a little bit trickier than that because in the UK, we have one of the two most extensive gas grids in the whole world. Because of all the North Sea gas, you've got a VAT discount to 5% on gas, uh, which is there to, to protect vulnerable households and so very understandable. But you don't have the same on electricity. It really means that your heat pump has to be very, very efficient if it's going to compete with a gas boiler which is running on gas. As part of the technical working group, we introduced a standard document called a performance estimate template. So if you had three quotes from three different installers, they should use the same template And on there, they put down, I'm going to use that heat pump to this design standard. This is the relative cost of gas, electricity. What is your current heat source? What is your current energy usage? And the current energy performance certificate, the EPC, has on there the deemed energy required for your space heating and your hot water. That figure goes into that performance estimate and that gives you a consistent view of the benefit of fitting a heat pump or any other technology. If I were installing our new gas system versus installing a heat pump, would the prices be comparable or is one more expensive than the other? The heat pump would be more expensive than a gas boiler, but it comes back to that performance estimate template actually sets out the running cost of the heat pump, the relative running cost of the gas boiler, It also includes currently the contribution from the renewable heat incentive and it sets out where you would be financially at the end of that scheme seven years on. 
there's the government RHI calculator and that will tell you for your home exactly how much you can get. The RHI will basically pay you subsidies every quarter for seven years and that should pay off the upfront cost over that time. So, for instance, an air source heat pump, which uh, might set you back between six and eight thousand pounds. But over a seven year period, if you're in, say, a three bed detached property, then you might get nine grand under this scheme. So there really are very Mm. generous incentives incentives out there at the moment. I say at the moment because they're only due to run until the end of March 2021. And we don't currently know what's going to replace them. So We don't currently know what's going to happen next week. <laughs> Are those subsidies means tested? No. But if you have a loft, you're expected to have a sensible amount of insulation in there. Yeah. Um, if you have cavity walls, you're expected to have them insulated. But once you've ticked those very basic boxes as in we're not just paying to heat a home that has no insulation in the loft and no insulation in the walls, mm. the scheme is accessible. Yeah, and and actually, if you are putting in a heat pump, you would be crazy not to put in loft insulation and cavity wall insulation because the thing that you absolutely want to do is get your heat pump working as efficiently as possible. So if it's only using one unit of electricity to produce three units of heat, that means you can cut your electricity bill by a third. And that means that you can almost compete with gas. The efficiency of your heat pump depends exactly on how much work it has to do. So it depends on how high or how much it has to raise the temperature. And so if you're able to do things like put in larger radiators or underfloor heating, then you can run it at temperatures of, say, 50 degrees instead of trying to run it at 70 degrees. And that means that you have created the right conditions to get as much heat out of it as possible and and cut your bills as much as possible. I would just like to add, we're crazy if we're not insulating no matter what heat mm. we're using. If you can insulate your loft and your your walls, you should be insulating your loft and your walls. But Jill, why did you choose a heat pump then if it's not going to save I you didn't, any money? Well, I didn't know that I was going to choose a heat pump to start <laughs> with, I have to say. I knew that I needed hot water, so I got an electrically heated hot water tank. I need to get my roof done, so I put solar PV on the roof. And then I thought, what can I do for heating? And I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people before I got to the heat pump. And then I spent a lot of time talking to different heat pump installers before I picked one, because I found that the information that I was getting from a number of of people was untrustworthy, I think. Neither my architect, my structural engineer, plumbers, everybody said, oh, why would you want to get rid of gas? So I think there's a huge training issue and a huge information issue that the industry doesn't have an answer to at the moment, let alone the consumer. So, Well, I think you're absolutely right to point to the need for good advice in this area and I hope we are starting to see things change there and it has been really terrible in the past Um, but in terms of what kind of advice you'd get hopefully it's not because your boiler has broken down and you have a little bit of time to do some research and to think how can I actually make my home comfortable to live in how can I reduce my energy bills how can I create a nice internal environment with with clean air to breathe And not only will it make your bills lower, but it can also make your home more valuable. So we think that's absolutely the place to start. Can I just kind of challenge you a bit on that, Jenny? Because unless they're going through a a complete renovation project, most people think, my boiler's a bit old now, I need to do something about it. 
where do I start? Where do they get the information to do that in a sort of structured way, recognising they can't do it all at once? So I think what we need longer term is to have a retrofit coordinator who can coordinate the whole process for you end to end. Look at what insulation you might need, take into account what other improvements you might want to do to your home. So, you know, you might want to refurbish your bathroom or your kitchen, you might be planning an extension. Um, and then look together at the insulation, um, any improvements and uh, what heating system you put in. So I'm, I'm sorry to say retrofit coordinator sounds like that's more money that I'm going to have to spend. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good question. So there would be some money involved. But if you do this correctly, then you will definitely save yourself money in the longer term. And you should save yourself a lot of stress and a lot of hassle. So how do I determine? Again, we get back to this question of that it was really hard to get unbiased information at all. So in the end, we took the advice of three contractors and decided which one we trusted the most. But often I find you get advice for what people are familiar with. And if you push them outside of their comfort zone, they fake it. There's the Microgeneration Certification Scheme website that also has a find and installer section where you go onto there, you say, I'm interested in air source heat pumps, ground source heat pumps, water source heat pumps. You put in your postcode and it will give you a range of installers nearby you. No, actually, if you're listening to this podcast, or you're not listening to this podcast, but you hear that you maybe want a heat pump, you wouldn't necessarily equate that with a micro-generation... Mm. Certification. Yes, to go and find an installer. They're... Here again, I mean, this is the quandary of needing to know some of the answers before you ask the question. I mean, you're saying knowing heat pump, you wouldn't have known to look for micro-generation. We need... All these things are in a grid that I can go through and say, okay, if I have this size and I want this, this is where I should be looking. And then I can find a credible person to provide that. So it is worth having a look at the latest version of the government website, which is, I think, simple energy advice. And that isn't even up to date enough because what that needs to now do is point people towards Trustmark. Trustmark is a not-for-profit, which was set up by the UK government back at the beginning of the noughties. But the idea is that people go on the website, they look at Trustmark, then they get anyone in. And it might be someone to fit the kitchen, it might be that they ask for a heat pump, it might be that they ask for some insulation. And without them knowing, essentially, they're it will all slot into place and there will be someone with this retrofit coordinator expertise who can come in and give that unbiased advice. I, I really hope that's the case. I suppose the worry for me is that the, this is good quality advice, you know, that's appropriate to people's needs and it's not adding an unnecessary additional cost because that will stand in the way. But I'm hoping we can also explore what are the other choices, what other fuels should we be discussing, and what are the limitations and strengths and weaknesses of other alternatives. Mm -hmm. So in Denmark, 40% of heat in buildings arrives on site through a pipe um, which delivers your hot water for space heating and um, for hot water use. And this is really, really exciting because it basically means that 
Uh, you can have low carbon or even zero carbon heat and hot water piped straight into your home and you don't need to worry about um, how you're going to produce it. You don't need to worry about how it interacts with your insulation um, and you don't need to think about maintenance on an ongoing basis. And we do have these heat networks in the UK, although a lot of them are very old and they're not the super new efficient systems that we'd like to talk about at the Committee on Climate Change. But because they bring all these advantages, they are a solution that government is really keen to develop in areas where you can, so that's typically in cities. So how how does that work? You have a central heat source, whatever that may be, heat pump, biomass, whatever, and you distribute the heat from there into individual properties. All you have in the property is heat metering. You actually pay for what you use. Oh, like electricity meter, gas yeah, meter? Yeah, it's a heat meter. Do you have to dig up roads for the pipes? If we were going to go for it en masse from where yeah. we are, then there would be an infrastructure issue that we'd have mm-hmm. to overcome. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make a very quick point, which is that for all of these zero carbon heating options, we probably are going to have to dig up the roads. Um, but right. your your question, absolutely, we should get to that. Um, so if you're not going to go down the route of the heat pump, then you do have a range of other options which are open to you, which we can cover briefly. Mm-hmm. So solar thermal, solar hot water heating. It's funny, actually, because people talk about solar a lot, but they, they usually think about photovoltaics, so panels on the roof mm. that you can use to produce electricity. But actually, there's a very good technology uh, which involves pipes on the roof where you use the heat from the sun to heat up hot water and now that's not going to be a solution which provides all of your space heating and hot water demand particularly because it will produce a lot more heat in the summer but it is renewable and free energy so that's a really great thing to look at if you're uh, keen to look at how you can um, use renewables in your home. Solar thermal definitely works it's probably not a viable option for heating because in your greatest demand period we don't get much sun. Um, Summertime will provide you with most of the hot water you need. Works fine. Biomass boilers, that's burning wood, basically. Pellets or logs or whatever else. Is that zero carbon, though, if you're burning biomass? I mean, presumably it depends on where the biomass comes from. <laughs> there is a very lengthy discussion we could have here. Um, but <laughs> I know. when you burn wood, it releases carbon into the Indeed. atmosphere. It also releases a whole bunch of other stuff, mainly soot. So it's really not a great option if you're living in a built-up area. Better if you live in the countryside. I suppose one of the reasons I raised it, Jenny, is because it's quite often promoted as a zero carbon option and I just wanted people to be clear that it's not a zero carbon Mm -hmm. option, although it's sometimes nice to sit around a log fire. I'd like to expand actually on what you mentioned about soot Mm. and the growing awareness of indoor air quality issues. My friends that have the beautiful wood-burning stoves there's a growing recognition that there may be indoor air quality issues. We've certainly tried to minimize our use of our lovely little fireplace. But even in these biomass heaters that are more efficient, there are concerns about the soot. No, absolutely. So it's both an issue for outside air quality and mm-hmm. inside air quality. At the moment, you've got policy from government um, which stipulates that you need to have efficient stoves in place and those are much more effective at capturing these particle emissions. This is very interesting, isn't it? It's not something like a personal product where you can look at options and make your own decision as a user because A, is quite technical, but also it's not playing field, it's not leveled. Some sources are subsidised, some aren't. We can't do a very clean calculation on what the impact on my 
bill's going to be. But the options for technology is stick with your gas boiler, use electricity to heat your home, um, use heat pumps. When it's ready, use, uh, what did you call it, Jenny Central? Oh, low-carbon heat networks. Low-carbon heat networks. district heating. This, or district heating. Or solar heating for your water, but not uh-huh. so much for your heating. Uh-huh. There's one other thing. If you have electricity, get green. I have to say I'm incredibly impressed by how much electricity I can generate off my rooftop, even in winter when it's sunny. It makes a real difference to my, my bills. So if you know that your gas boiler is on its last legs. What do you do and where do you go for advice? I think the start point for me is you need to find an installer that you can trust. Now, trust is a different thing for different people, but you need to go through a process whereby you think this is a person that understands what they're talking about, I'm confident in what they're doing, and I believe what they're telling me. Um, Because the big thing with heat pumps is if your gas boiler breaks down in the middle of January and it's very cold and you phone up somebody to replace it, they will come out, they will look at it and they will probably replace it the next day because they'll look at what size it is and they will just change it. If you need to change to a heat pump, that installer needs to come out. They need to survey your property. They need to see what the requirement of every room in your property is. They need to check the size of the current radiators to see if they will work in an efficient manner once you've hitted your heat pump all the way through that process to then selecting a heat pump that will do that job and then agreeing that with you. Um, As an industry, we sign up to a consumer code. At that point, we then have to allow a 14-day cooling-off period before we can do anything. So in the middle of January, when it's cold and you want a quick solution, you need to have planned ahead, basically, (laughs) and have that in the bag. The difficulty for people that don't know enough or aren't sure yet that a heat pump is right for them, it's finding an installer or a source that is credible, unbiased, and broad. Mm-hmm. It's a discussion of trade-offs mm-hmm. that is the challenge. So the first step is go on the government Smart Energy Advice website. There is a phone number there. Call that phone number and you will get someone who can talk you through all the advice. But what needs to happen at the government and industry level for us to have better options to heat our homes? Well, this really is my bread and butter. So I'm going to try and be succinct. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. There is a big infrastructure question here. And that is because you have a range of different heating solutions and they will depend on your location. And that means that you need someone to think about how this is coordinated. So there's a role for local authority planning. There are also big questions to be thought out at the national level. So there's the need for a strategic plan. The good news is that the government is working on that and is due to publish basically a plan for a plan. We're very clear that that needs to cover things like the balance of costs between electricity and gas. It needs to look at how you continue to make these more expensive but lower carbon options uh, attractive to consumers. So that's incentives in the short term, but in the longer term, we think there is a role for standards and potentially taxation. Of course, it needs to go hand in hand with energy efficiency. Um, So we've got standards which are planned. The plan is to tighten those over time. And and there are different ones for, for social housing, for the private rented sector and for owner occupiers, hopefully as well. 
Um, we've talked about skills, so our recommendation there is a nationwide training programme to upskill the existing workforce. And yeah, obviously there is a big role for government in bringing that all together. From where we stand currently, you're right, energy costs are a real issue because if we look at where we install, generally it's rural areas because the equation's far easier there. A homeowner with an oil-based heating system that has an old unbunded tank and an old boiler that need replacing, the numbers are very simple for them. LPG gas is expensive, heat pumps stack up well. In a city at the moment, there's a ratio of three to one between gas and electricity prices. So unless a heat pump is 300% efficient, why would you even think about it? The skills thing is a big one. You know, we can't just go out and recruit somebody. There is not a single course that says, do this one year course and you will be an expert heat pump installer because it doesn't exist. You mentioned earlier the 2025 and the likelihood of no fossil fuels in new homes then. Well, we're installing 15-odd thousand heat pumps a year at the moment. That would require us to fit 250, 300,000 heat pumps a year. And without the skills to go with that, won't happen. Let's do a quick summary. So I think what I've been hearing loud and strong is that if you're an individual homeowner and you're looking to upgrade your boiler in the next couple of years and not when it breaks down in the middle of January then you'd probably be looking for a heat pump. In the longer term, there's exciting opportunities for district heating, which would pump heat directly into your home. But don't hold your breath, because I know they've been talking about this for at least 10 years. The advice that you get from the government is getting much better. And if you want advice, then you go to simpleenergyadvice.org.uk and they will help point you in the right direction and give you somebody to talk to. Trustmark is a government-funded scheme to accredit installers, so look at Trustmark once you know what you're doing, and certainly plan this well in advance because it's not a quick and easy decision, it's something you need to think about. Thank you very much, thank you Jenny, thank you Peter for joining us, and I'll thank my co-hosts Sabina and Jill, and thank you to the rest of the team, Caroline Backel, our producer, and Neil McEwen, our composer and sound guy. Thank you for listening. Please get in touch with any issues you'd like us to research for you. If you enjoyed this, look out for our upcoming episodes and all other info on our website, jointhedotspodcast.com. 